The Giant. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hey Giants, Ram here. Welcome to episode number 81, especially if this is the first time you're tuning in. I appreciate you giving this show a listen. We have two guests in one interview uh, in this episode. It's a double whammy. They are both co-hosts of a business podcast titled Biz Buds. One of them is the founder and CEO at Design Cuts, the highest rated online marketplace for designers. Design Cuts helps their community of 550,000 members save money off the best digital resources to help their regular creative projects. He is also a podcaster of two shows, as mentioned, uh, besides BizBuds. His other podcast is titled The Honest Designers Show, and he loves mentoring fellow creatives to help them master their marketing. The other guest we have is an award-winning creative director, designer, and agency veteran. In 2002, he founded the creative agency Riser, which provided design and development services to clients including Disney, Google, Warner Brothers, Fox, NBC, ABC, National Geographic, and many other high-profile brands. He sold his agency in 2015, and now he spends his time speaking, developing books, courses, and social media content to help creatives level up. He is the author of a very popular book called Burn Your Portfolio, and his latest, The Psychology of Graphic Design Pricing. Now, some of the topics we spoke about include how to design a business that's geared to succeed, market penetration, exploration, and hypothesis validation, how to niche a business, navigating effort versus outcome when it comes to revenue generating activities, and plenty more. So if you're someone that's interested in designing a business successfully that puts people at the heart by solving real customer needs, but you're not 100% sure where to start, then this episode is for you. Now, a quick note from me, if we aren't connected yet on Instagram, I invite you to follow me on my handle, The Giant Thinker, as I share daily posts and stories on helping decision makers, business owners, and leaders get unstuck lightning fast through human-centered design methodologies, creative strategies, and personal experiences. Send me a DM. I would absolutely love to hear from you. And uh, you can find me once again on my handle, The Giant Thinker. All right, let's get stuck in. I present to you the entrepreneurial A-team, Mike Jander and Tom Ross. Michael Jander and Tom Ross, welcome to The Giant Thinkers podcast. I'm thrilled to have you both on the show how are you guys doing super good 
Yeah. yeah thank you so much for having us on, Ram. We appreciate <laughs> Tom, it. Tom and I just launch in talking over each other right out of the gate. Yeah, it's right going to be a painful gate. hour. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've been following you guys for, for many, many years and um, we have uh, crossed paths in many different ways online um, in particular. Uh, so first off, icebreaker question. I thought I'd start by asking you both, how did you guys meet each other? Because now you've got a joint podcast, BizBuds, uh, BizBuds mm. podcast. And yeah, um, yeah. do you recall the first conversation of that interaction? And what was a characteristics, that, you know, any characteristics that you found appealing about each other at the time? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll jump <laughs> Well, Tom thought I was super good looking. That's where this really started. <laughs> So he started liking all my photos on Instagram and I was like, I admired him from afar, man, what in the world? (laughs) No, I mean, that's partially true, but okay. So my first introduction to Tom was, um, Delphi who is in Brisbane, you Mm. know, Delphi joy. Yeah. She, uh, she shared one of Tom's videos in from his YouTube in his, from his honest entrepreneur YouTube thing. I never told you this, Tom. And that was the first time I ever saw Tom. I clicked on her video because she and I had been chatting a lot and we became friends. And I clicked on that and I was like, who's this Tom guy and with this cool accent and what's this honest entrepreneur show? And I was like, oh, that's pretty legit. And then I looked at his Instagram and saw massive engagement. It was like he would, he had at the time 10,000 followers and he would get 300 comments on his posts. And I was like, man, he, I had like three times as many followers and less comments on my posts. So I was super impressed with the amount of engagement that he had from his audience. And then somehow we struck up and started chatting with each other. And then I was at the time just building my audience and I was doing collaboration videos. So I was like, Hey Tom, you do video stuff. Do you want to do a collaboration? And we got on and the very first question that we were going to tackle talking with each other we went on for 26 minutes or something in on the first question. <laughs> and I had never, I had clicked with a lot of people and I am, am proud of my ability to click with people, but there was something unique with Tom that we could just riff on a topic with never having talked to each other ever before. And we could talk about something for hours. And mm-hmm. so anyway, then I reached out to Tom and said, Hey, what about a podcast? And then he, and you can tell the rest of the story. You see, Mike likes to play the bully, but he's really a big softy, Ram. You're going to learn this man. about him. And, <laughs> and yeah, that, that's exactly what happened. And Mike is one of the very, very few people in life where everything he was saying and everything he put out, I kept thinking that is almost word for word the answer I would have given or how I would have talked about this topic. So I knew there was a good alignment there. We obviously hit it off on that video chat. And then Mike mentioned, you know, maybe we could do a podcast. Was I interested in a podcast? At the time I had two other podcasts and I thought there's no way I can keep saying yes to stuff. I'm going to burn out again. But I just had that feeling. I was (laughs) like, I feel like there's something like, this could be something special. So I said, yes. I ended up running three podcasts for a time, which was a terrible idea. So I've dropped one of the <laughs> other ones since. <laughs> um, and yeah, like I just, uh, I feel super aligned with Mike. I've got enormous respect for everything he's done. And I like how we come from different angles. So he's like the big agency freelancer guy. I'm the community building 
uh, startup guy. So there's a lot of crossover, but we kind of dabble in slightly different complementary sectors as well. Yeah. Fantastic. And um, not to mention, Mike's got a, a very incredibly impressive bobblehead collection of. Oh man, he does. Well, he, he, he's a bit like a human bobblehead as well. <laughs> I, I like that about him. <laughs> Which is, he's been collecting for 15 years, and um, yeah. uh, that's incredible. Um, thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of people are curious about that. Uh, you know, that interaction, uh, the first yeah. one, how that relationship and friendship has developed into what it is now um, with, with you know, all, all us three being actually in, in different sides of the world and how we can yeah. create, you know, fr fruitful relationships and communities in that way. So yeah. off the back I of that then... Can I just make one comment on that? I think course. that's a good, a good message for as a takeaway for people is that these interactions that you have with people, you never know what's going to come of those things. To me, the very first time Tom and I started chatting back and forth, if I wouldn't have paid attention to him and he wouldn't have paid attention to me, it would not have ever turned into a friendship like we have, a podcast like we have, a business opportunity that we build together. It, it all stems from these little micro interactions that you have with people that can be the seed to great, amazing things in your future. So be careful in those initial reactions, in those initial interactions and make sure that they're, mm -hmm. that you're treating them in a way that can turn into whatever is on the, the plate for your future in your, in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Be open to it. Right. Yeah. Because we were in the early days, this was only a year ago or something. You never know what's going to happen in, I don't know, 20, 30 years time maybe I'm no longer doing my startup and we start some random company and change the world. Like you never know, right? These yeah. things, like Mike says, it's a seed. You never know what these little interactions are going to blossom into. Now, uh, Tom, you gave us a hint there with the, the, the polar sort of um, backgrounds that you guys have had. Um, where would you say your expertise lies, Tom? And where would you say yours lies, Mike? So I love building communities is probably my favorite thing. And I believe so much business success comes from that. So if you can get a loyal group of true fans, this is something Mike and I talk about a lot. That is really, you know, the, the center of any successful business is getting that core group. It's why startups, some of the biggest startups in the world before they're world famous, they just go and try and cultivate a small collective, that small group of true fans and customers to get everything going. Why Combinator, all these examples, right? They all go and try and just one by one by one, cultivate those true fans, test their product on them. And so this is something I've developed over years and years and years. And I just love it. I love bringing people together. I love rallying them around, you know, a cause or, or an idea. I love the positivity that comes from it. It feels pretty cool as well when they end up being fans of what you're building and supporting you and building each other up. I just think there's something so special in community. And I, I wouldn't want to do what I do. I wouldn't want to run a startup if it was just this kind of tran transactional cold thing. You know, if we just sold the widgets we sell and there was no humanity behind it, that would be super boring to me. What lights me up is the relationships and the interactions and, and as I say, that community around it. I, I like that question. And um, the, the same thing, the community and relationship thing just lights me up too. That's something that I'm so passionate about. And, you know, I, I've never met somebody who I didn't want to be my friend 
I didn't want, I, I want everybody to be my friend until they decide, until I find out that there are truly bad humans in the world. And so some of those people, great, go do your thing. But my initial view of people in the world is, okay, here's a new person, Ram. Ram and I started chatting a few months ago and I was immediately, for me, it was like, okay, great. I got a new friend. I want people, I want those relationships in my life. So that's, that's the mega value to me. The, the thing that lights me up from a business standpoint or from a career standpoint is my passion around creative entrepreneurship. I'm a good designer. I'm not the cover of Communication Arts Magazine setting design trend kind of designer, but I'm a good designer but I built a great business and I generated a lot of profitability and I had a lot of success and I had a lot of great clients and it was because of my ability to run a business, my ability to provide a good customer experience, my ability to um, create profitable margins, my ability to create a business culture, the systems and strategies inside of a business and that's what I get so passionate around and that's what I love to share to people and you know, that's what I, that's my platform and the thing I'm most, most passionate about teaching and sharing and mentoring people into being able to do. Fantastic. Can, can I expand on my answer? Cause my was better than mine and I don't like <laughs> I liked yours. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I kind of considered my second favorite thing about what I do. I just love the nature of entrepreneurship that something as fleeting and small as one small idea can blossom into something enormous so all of us what we're doing at one point ram you thought oh i might start a podcast and mike was like hmm i might do an agency or i might approach that client and i thought well i, I might try the startup and it could have failed it could have gone wrong we could have given up after a week but that one idea just on a bit of paper or popped in your head you know has changed millions of people's lives and that is crazy. We didn't like combine parts. Like we grew that from thin air. And that for me is magical. And it makes me feel hyperactively fulfilled and engaged. We talk about this recently on the podcast, right, Mike? It's like that feeling you get, that adrenaline, when something is just blossoming out of thin air like it's magic is the coolest freaking thing in the world. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Now we are going to dive straight into hard hitting stuff, right? So let's talk about the design of a business. Speaking of millions, um, both of you have successfully created and grown businesses that actually make money, um, around 50 mil in revenue between you both. Where would you suggest people start? Uh, what are the critical ingredients in your mind that have to exist to, to set up uh, people for success? Well, let me start this by saying Tom should start this uh, this answer first because we were asked a similar question on some content piece we did, and I answered Tom's answer, and I know what he want I know what he wants to talk about and should be talking about. So, Tom, why don't you kick it off with uh, one of your passion pieces on on business? See, this is really embarrassing because I can't remember my answer now, <laughs> but I, I, I'll, give, I'll give what's in my head right now. So um, I, I do think that one of the key things you have to do is actually just start 
and obviously through doing and experience you get better in your execution but i think so many people think 100 steps ahead and it is impossible to do that because when i created my startup i could never have predicted how it looks now and how it operates now and nor could any of us with our projects right so the way to grow a viable business is to try something make your best guess see how the market responds see if you have good product market fit and then just work on scaling and doing things better and increasing the volume. It's as simple as that. So this is why I put out a piece of content saying, if you can make $1, you can make $100. If you can make $100, you can make 1000 It's because as you figure out what aspects of making that $100 are working and what aren't, it's like you can pull on the right levers, you can scale it, you can lean into it more, you can shed what isn't working. It's the same old principles, but I think where people go wrong is they walk into it being like, I'm going to create a billion dollar startup and they're focused on the billion before they've even earned their first sale. So for me, it's all about start small and then iterate and evolve as efficiently and effectively as you possibly can from there. I think I like that idea. I'm going to create a billion dollar startup. This is what a lot of people think. They think I just want to create a multi-million dollar thing. If you want to create a multi-million dollar business or a billion dollar business, you've got to solve a billion dollar problem. And, and to me, it comes back to this problem solution, which is the, at the heart of business in general. It is what is a problem that people have in this world and how can you create a solution to that problem in a way that people will actually buy that from you? They'll buy your solution. And so get, get, dig deep, start researching, start brainstorming. What problem are you trying to solve in your business for people? Start there to give yourself purpose and then create the solution to that problem. And man, you are probably 10 years ahead of so many entrepreneurs that are just churning in the hamster wheel, trying to, figure out their business, wondering every year why they're eking out a little profit because they never figured that out. They never figured out the problem and the solution component. Empathy with the market, right, Mike? So many yeah. people are just like, I, I like this thing, so I'm going to run with it. I want to put googly eyes on flower pots. That's yeah. my idea. It's like, maybe the market doesn't want that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess the backdrop of that is, is a, is a process in many ways. And, and I, I know both of you have tried and tested many different things, whether it's launching a digital product or a physical product or running an agency or, or, or setting up a business that is actually built on digital products like you, Tom, what's a current process that listeners can adopt uh, or, or at least an approach around market penetration uh, as you mentioned there, Tom, also about the um, the, the the selling a dollar and and selling a hundred dollars um, worth of of that product, um, and then and trying to test and scale and and in that there's this hypothesis validation. So, it, what's a process that comes to to your mind, uh, Mike or Tom? Feel free to jump in first um, around market penetration exploration. Sure. So. This is one of the simplest things in the world, but I'm staggered how easy it is for our human nature not to do it. So simply do more of what's working and do less of what isn't. This is what is at the crux of things like Pareto's principle, the 80-20 rule and so on. Yet 
if we have 10 components to our business, our human nature makes us just do all 10 all the time. We just kind of keep spreading ourselves amongst everything. And this is where things really started to move for me. For example, with our marketplace, we got all these different sections. They're not equal. There's some sections that are showing tremendous growth opportunity and traction and others that are pretty dead. And for whatever reason, historically, as a more naive, younger entrepreneur, I would just kind of apply equal importance to everything and try and like the stuff that wasn't working, I'd try and boy that up and get it to do better. The stuff that was working, I'd neglect it, you know, more than I should be. Ever since we just killed off the stuff that wasn't working and then we tripled down on where the opportunity was arising and accelerated that, oh my God, it's been just game changing. Beautiful, mate. How are you, Mike? Um, so, so my thoughts on that, on how do you start getting some market penetration? If I kind of keep going on this idea of problem solution, to me, once you define a problem that you're going to solve with your business, then you got you to gotta define who has that problem, who is it, then you got to figure out where are the people that have that problem, then you have to figure out how to message the fact to them, the fact that they have that problem and you're the solution to that problem. This is just like marketing 101 stuff, but that mindset, people skip it all. They just skip it all. They say, I just want to make websites and that's their business. I want to make websites. And they never go in and say, who needs a website? Why do they need the website? Where are the people that need that website? And how do I message to them in a way that they're going to choose me over the other 100 million website makers in the world, why are they, why can I, how can I message them in a way that they're going to choose me? And so entrepreneurs are so bad about skipping all that. And then they wonder three years later why their business is just still scrambling making websites when their competitor's business took off and has 20 employees and they sit around and they think, what, what did I do wrong? What am I doing wrong? Well, you never did it on purpose in the first place because you skip core marketing and business fundamentals that, that you should have done right out of the gate. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And Mike, we did a recent episode on differentiation mm -hmm. as well, not too long ago. And I think that's really key to touch on too, because if you're trying to get market share, you have to take it from somewhere, right? You have to take it from your competitors. And the only way to do that is to be better or at the very least different and more intriguing than them. Mm -hmm. So when I began my startup, it wasn't an accident that we entered the scene and saw tremendous growth in our first year. I literally printed out sheets of paper and sat them on the floor in a circle around me when I was planning my company, when it was just an idea. And I looked at all their strengths and said, okay, I'm going to systematically do all their strengths better than they are. I looked at all their weaknesses and I stopped doing them and I cut them out. I, I came up with ideas they weren't even doing. And piece by piece by piece, I came up with just a concise list of if I do everything on this list, I will be the number one option for people in this sector. And that's a, a lesson I had to learn the hard way because back in the day, I did the dumbest thing ever when I was a teenager trying to start businesses. I would look at a business making a load of money and think, well, if I do 10% as good a job as them, I'm going to make 10% of their enormous revenue. And it's like, of course not. Why would anyone pay me if I'm 10% as good? They just go pay them because they're 10 times better. And so ever since then, whenever I've gone and done something, I have to figure out how do I beat all the other people in terms of just doing a better job for the market? 
it um it's it's in a way the 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 SWOT analysis, right? Like the 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 strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats that you can just quickly map out for for your for your business. And um, I love how you did that, Tom. And uh, keeping on that subject around competitive advantages and the things that we can we can do to to take market share is something that you've spoken a lot about, which is niching, or in in Americans. Uh, terminology niche. Uh, niche. <laughs> yeah, take it, yeah. Mike. <laughs> Niching. Um, <Yeah>. But uh, <laughs> we'll go with uh, we'll go with what what you prefer. But uh, let's talk about uh, niching or niching for for a second. Um, I'd love your thoughts on on that from from both of you, the importance of that. Yeah, Mike, do you want to take this one first? Because I know you're very hot on this too. I'm hot on this too. Tom and I are both <laughs> big fans of the niching niching topic. So the, people a lot of times think that niching or niching, I'm just going to call it niching because you guys are more sophisticated <laughs> than me. So in, in my normal conversation, I'd be saying niching. Niching is not always just about saying that I make flower pots with googly eyes, that, to use Tom's example from earlier. That's not niching. You can niche in a variety of different ways. You can niche in a service that you do. You make websites or you design logos. You, you create flower pots with googly eyes. That's your niche in a service or in a product offering of some kind. You can niche in a geographic location. You can niche by saying, okay, I'm going to do these. Ram, you're in Sydney. I'm going to target clients in Sydney for any kind of design services. Doesn't matter, but I'm only doing work for clients in Sydney. Or you can niche down deeper and say, I'm only doing clients in Sydney that are in this region of Sydney. You can niche in geographic location. You can niche in budget size. I'm only doing projects that are $5,000 or more. I'm only doing projects that are $50,000 or more. I'm only doing projects that are $500 or more. You can niche in, in budget size. You can niche with type of client that you're serving. You're doing startups. You're doing mom and pop shops. You're doing tech industry, global fortune 100 businesses. That's who you're niching. So there's so many different ways that you can niche. And I think a lot of people are running around the world as an entrepreneur thinking, I got to keep, I got a niche, I got a niche, I got a niche. What's the niche? And they think that it means it's, I got to pick googly eyed flower pots, but it's not. It's, you can niche just on services and industry alone and you're still niched. Now the benefit to niching is that the tighter the niche, the easier it is for you to market your product. You, it's easier to define the problem because you've, you've distilled your audience down to a demographic and psychographic that's small enough that you can define a problem that they have. It's easier to find where those people are. It's easier to figure out how to message to those people because you've distilled it down to a tighter niche. But sometimes you can niche too deeply. And if you niche too deeply, now you don't have enough of customers to be able to support your business and generate the revenue that you plan to generate. So you got a niche wider, I call it a niche funnel in, in my content, where it's, it's tight, you gotta find your right spot on the funnel. Too broad, you don't know how to market yourself, 
too tight, you alienate your ability to make money because your, your market's too small. So it's somewhere in between, but there's a variety of different ways that you can niche. All right, Tom, you take it away with your niching strategies, <laughs> which you have a lot of great ones too. Yeah, I, I love the idea of that niche funnel and picking the right spot. And Mike just alluded to a bunch of great ways you can niche, how you can pick a niche. And you also mentioned, Mike, how it informs better marketing strategy. And this is one of my favorite things because when you properly niche, everything suddenly maps to that. So how you brand yourself, um, how you position yourself in your market, your copywriting, the type of people you find yourself talking to, the events that you go to, the language you use, like everything just becomes laser focused. So imagine for a second, if my business was um, stuff that human beings might kind of wear or have on them, right? And my market is just any human being. If I was hearing like, uh, guys, Mike and Ram, like you're human beings, like you maybe like put stuff and clothes on you. Like, do you want to buy some stuff from me? Really, really difficult, right? And that's the frustration and feeling that people do. But imagine for a second that I'm a specialist in like men's eyeglasses. And I can see you're both wearing glasses right now. And I'm like, hey guys, I've been specialized in, you know, men's eyewear for 20 years. I know everything about it. I can see that you prefer this style, Ram, and you prefer this style, Mike. And, you know, have you thought about this? This might actually help you for these reasons. And here's all our credibility selling men's eyewear. You see how much easier that gets? And then I could go to, you know, every eyewear distributor and, and you know, target people based on that with Facebook ads. And, and it's just so much more efficient. So that's one reason I love it. Another is it's often the quickest and easiest and cheapest way to scale because I've seen people that have just been hitting their head against the wall, failing to break through. And, you know, they don't have marketing dollars. They don't have infinite time. They don't have infinite resources, but often just a small sidestep or adjustment suddenly gives them the traction they're hoping for. And it didn't cost them a cent more. They just adapted and adjusted their niche. And my final point on niching would be, I came up with a four part framework, which for me is like the four parts that you need to have a successful niche. And I believe you need all four. So I think you need to really like the work you're doing and, and what you're selling. You need to be passionate about it. You need to have the credibility to reach the market that you're trying to reach. So if I was back in my earlier days, a 14 year old kid, if I was trying to target fortune 100 companies, I probably wouldn't have been capable of doing that. That would have been a bad niche for me at the time. Um, you need to like and understand the people you're trying to serve because if you hate your clients or you hate your customers or, or your sector makes your skin crawl, that's not going to be a very good fit. Um, and then also, can they pay you? That's a huge one. So for example, I picked a bad niche when I was at school. I started trying to do websites for school bands. Guess what? They haven't got a lot of money. That was a very <laughs> bad niche. <laughs> So you need to, you need to satisfy all four. And people often say when they read this in my content, they're like, well, is three enough? And it's like, not really, because I've never had a real good project, uh, survive off three. And whenever people are struggling and they're nearly there, the one that's missing causes all kinds of headaches. That's, that's really powerful stuff. So I'll just repeat that for the listeners. Cause I, I think that's gold, uh, Tom, thank you. And, and Mike, your insight on the, uh, the, the, the spectrum and, and verticals and, and layers that you can go within, uh, super important. So, um, you have to like, and, and have interest obviously in, in the, uh, the area of, of that, um, space 
uh, number two, credibility in that space. Number three, like and understand your customers uh, or prospects. And, and number four, um, can they pay you? And I'll just give you, and I'm happy to be transparent here, right? Like when I start Giant Thinkers, the, the proposition was to help emerging designers be employed, right? Like how to get a job as a designer. That was like a specific thing that bridged that gap between being a student and, and actually being employed for your first job. It was super, super niche. And what I found that I, can't, I couldn't grow really too much out of that space. And so I actually found that I was in what you said, um, Mike, about sometimes if you niche too deep, because then from there, Giant Thinkers actually just became uh, the, the seed of what I said um, as the initial sort of target audience, but then it grew to established designers navigating their way. And then now it's grown to entrepreneurs because these designers and creatives actually become entrepreneurial uh, and start their side hustles and some full-fledged businesses. And so it's interesting how I've kind of started from a small seed of, of, of in many ways being too niche uh, because, uh, and, and happy to even say this, like, can they pay you? Well, no, not many students could, right? Like it wasn't a, a thing that, uh, now I'm seeing more, uh, uh, revenue generation from business owners. And so now I've expanded to, to that sort of funnel and, and play in those spaces and, and actively looking at that as more of an opportunity. Um, so well, yeah. Although thank you. Ram, can I ask you something? Super of course. Quick on that. Yeah, because um, this seems to be quite a familiar narrative wherein a lot of people get early success um, by niching and then on the back of that success they have credibility to go broader and scale and reach a wider audience so three examples that spring to mind Gary V started as the wine guy and then scaled into what he is today Marie Forleo I believe was writing books on dating and scaled into B-School and everything she's doing now and Lewis Howes uh, specialized in LinkedIn groups and then expanded to a broader spectrum of what he's doing now. Probably all three of those characters wouldn't have been able to just enter the market teaching what they're doing now. It's because they got a niche success under their belt and then they, they went broad. That's a good point. Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, I mean, it's, um, and, and all three, I, I highly admire. So thank you for those examples. It's, um, it's, it's, Every time I speak to to people, whether through it's a DM or a full on session, you know, private coaching session, they they're almost afraid to go niche because they feel that the value is low. They feel that they are if they're still stuck in there. Oh, but what about these people? I can serve them too. So um, it's it's a it's a good topic. Any any other final thoughts on niching? Uh, uh, regarding that, I you can validate a niche. Um, and to the people that are out there thinking, but what if I niche down too tight? Well, do the research and figure out your numbers. So if you, you want to niche for pizza restaurants, and then you niche down to pizza restaurants in London, and then you do research to find out how many pizza restaurants are in London, because that's your target customer, and you find that there are 500 pizza restaurants in London, is that enough? And then you say to yourself, what percentage of those can I close as a client for me this year? And how much can I charge them for solutions to their problems? And you decide, okay, maybe I can get 10%, we'll just say. So that would mean 50 potential clients that are actually going to buy from me. And what can I charge them this year 
maybe they'll spend $10,000 on the solution I have to the problem that they have. And is that enough money to sustain your business? That's what you got to do for any niche. Figure out what the size of the market is, how, what percentage of that market you need to close as a client and err on the side of low for that. And then how many clients does that yield and how much do you have to charge those clients in annual revenue to sustain the business at the financial level that you want? You can do that with almost any niche that you choose from googly flower pots to <laughs> pizza restaurants. It, you can choose and you can start doing that research and speculating those numbers. And that's, again, a thing that so many entrepreneurs just skip. They just skip it. They just jump in blindly. They just jump in thinking, I know. So, you know, we, we fall for our own lies as entrepreneurs. We get so passionate around the thing that we are going to do for our business that we become blind to statistical reality. And so you just jump in with your passion and you're so convinced that, yes, this is going to be it. And then you're bankrupt a year later and your business fails and you're like, what in the world just happened? I knew this was going to be a success because I had the passion. That's all I needed was the passion because that's what that Steve Jobs quote says, that all I need is the passion. That's the thing. Everyone's growing up now watching the social network. And uh -huh. thinking, oh, I need to just draw an algorithm on a window and, you know, all of this is going to explode. Yeah. They skip over in the media representation of entrepreneurship, the business smarts and acumen and business savvy that these characters have because it's not sexy to talk yeah. about this stuff and like, you know, doing the equations and calculating market size. It's not, but it is cool to you know, be this maverick genius rogue yeah. character. Like it's not the reality though. Yeah. I was going to say, you guys are, are, are entering this, um, this, this other topic, which I love and, and um, I'd love your insight on this, which is lifetime value of a customer. And Mike, you started alluding to it just then. Um, it's a subject that I'm starting to talk quite a lot about, which is uh, exactly that map out how much mm -hmm. this customer or this prospect um, is projecting revenue and turnover and how much is it acquiring you to get that, you know, um, ideal lifetime value of that customer. And, and yeah, sure, if it's a pizza customer, they might be lifetime value of, of many, many years, you know, five yeah. years if they're living locally or they're in that place or three years, but um, whatever the lifetime value is, um, I think is, is an important one because when we talk about running a business and Tom, you, you, you know, when early days to, to now and, and you as well, Mike, um, with your, uh, your former business for over 15 years, you had riser. And mm -hmm. so when we talk about projections, that's how you do it. You know, when you talk about, um, looking at cash flow and how much I can afford and, and the decisions that you're going to make as well, right. With, with how much you can spend so that you aren't going to get bankrupt. Um, how can listeners uh, apply that thinking in, in the businesses that you guys have run? You know, what are the takeaways for lifetime value um, yeah, of, of, of that approach versus um, yeah, just going in willy-nilly and just doing sort of some basic numbers? I, I really want to get some practical specifics yeah, well, around we're, that. We're all about practical, Ram. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we love practical. Um, Mike, do you want to take this one first? But before you do, can, can we all agree, probably the best lifetime value is Spotify because they got me for about 50 years. Like 
I don't ever think about canceling. I'm like that Spotify payments going out every month. <laughs> I got all yeah. the music in the world. Me too, um, man. Me too. Apple <laughs> Apple Music is mine, and and it's the same same thing. I mean, they just you sign up and you're never going. You're never going away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Drop, Dropbox even, is even up better, there too, right? And even Google better Suite. example. Even better example than that is the the cloud storage. I mean, it, right. I can't ever get rid of it because all my stuff's on there. So Dropbox yeah. is just going to charge me more as my Dropbox gets bigger and bigger over time. So um, the the satellite companies used to do this. They they would give you screaming deals at the start. They still do, but it's a it's a challenging business. But they give you a screaming deal to sign up because they care more about the lifetime value than they do that the initial transaction. And I always took that mentality with my clients. I always cared more about the long-term transactions, the long-term value of this customer than I did the one-time profit that I can eke out of them on this one project. Um, so that, that I think needs to be a focus of any business. And I think this is where a lot of businesses struggle as well. They start producing, well, in fact, I have a, a client that was doing websites and they were marketing themselves as website design and development and writing and so, so good at it. And then struggling and talking with me saying, but I don't have enough projects. I got to get more leads coming in. And the reason they need more leads is because their projects from their client base happen once every five years. There's no other, there's no other services that they were offering that created residual income or new products to upsell to that same client. They're just waiting five more years for that client's website to go stale and then they, real, they build another one. That's a miserable business. So we started talking about what are other services that a website needs. Well, you can start doing SEO, you can start doing web maintenance, you can start doing um, pay-per-click and Facebook ads to drive traffic to that site and broaden the services still around that same niche, but broaden the service offering and then reach out to those clients and say, hey, we built a great website for you, but you know what? If you don't update your WordPress instance every month, update the, the thing, your, your site's eventually going to break. Something's not going to keep working right. So we can maintain it for you. We can offer a new service. So you always got to be thinking this way when you're looking at your client. You've got to think, my cost to acquire this client the first time is so high that I don't want to have to do that every day just to sustain my business. I've got to resell to the same clients who have made a buying decision with me. How do I do that? I've got to figure out new products and services to sell to those same people find a new problem to go back to what I started this podcast talking about, find other problems that those people have and then solve those problems for them and keep reselling to the same people over and over and over again. That's the gold mine. That's when your business starts having exponential growth because you're not replacing clients every single time you're reselling to your existing customer base. All you have to do to get more sales is release a new product or service and all the same 1,000 people who bought from you before buy from you again. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I love I'm feeling that. I'm overly um, passionate today. Like I'm, I feel like I'm like, <laughs> you're, a, you're a pounding guy. the desk when I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you a lectern or something. <laughs> For listeners, uh, I'm, I'm extremely early uh, in the daytime, just starting and Tom's extremely late and, and Mike's just right bang in the middle. So he's, he's, <laughs> yeah. So he's on he's peaking he he's surrounded <laughs> by a sandwich of sleepy fellow podcasters right now um so, so yeah i got a few points written down about lifetime value um the first one which i'm honestly not doing myself right now is the SaaS business model that i touched on because this is the dream and this is why there's been such an explosion in SaaS businesses because if you get it right you can get that exponential growth, which basically comes from when you onboard new customers faster than you lose them, right? Easier said than done. People think a SaaS business model is this kind of unicorn and then they do the reality and actually their churn rate, which is how often they lose customers is huge and it's way more work than they envision. But if you are a Spotify or, or Apple Music and you, know, you nail it, it's hugely, hugely profitable. So to be honest, I would probably start a SaaS business in future if my current business wrapped up at any point. Um, that would be hugely appealing. And the key to that business model, or indeed any business model, is disproportionate value. The reason I'm sticking with Spotify is because for 10 bucks a month or whatever it is, I literally get all the music in the world. I get all my you know playlists organized and the joy it brings me and i play it at parties and i listen when i'm in the freaking bath sometimes like you know it, i get way way more value than 10 bucks and so that is so key you need to have the empathy you need to put yourself in your customer's shoes and think well would i stick around and not would i stick around because i can't be bothered to cancel or whatever but would i stick around if i was cutting personal costs you know would this be the last thing on my list to go? Because it means that much to me. And you need to constantly think as a, a business owner, how do I up the value so significantly that you know this is a no-brainer for them? They feel like they're getting 100 times back the value than whatever they're paying you. And whether that is SaaS business or, or just you know, a typical business model, I think that's the key. A few other super quick ones to fly through. Um, I think it's important to identify the point of churn. So this is something we do and many other people do, whether it's client services or, or digital products like us. You can actually see in Google Analytics and various softwares, oh, okay, after 13 weeks, that's typically where people stop buying and they drop off and go cold. And then you can actually introduce strategies where it's like, well, maybe we have an email campaign or you send out some freebies at that point to re-entice and re-engage those people before they lose interest. So you actually time your marketing around that drop-off point or directly before it. Um, another one is just ongoing customer service. This is huge. And this links into what we talked about, about community and true fans, because I can literally see the people where every time we release something, they're there in the comments, attending the live webinar or whatever, being like, God, you got me again. Of course I'm buying this. I'm here. I'm showing up. And you know, Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans, Mike and I are a huge fan of that. Um, we run our businesses in that way. And that is one of the best ways to get lifetime value because your true fans, their lifetime value is enormous. And so I know both Mike and myself, we lean into those people. We forget about trying to spread ourselves thin, trying to cater to the, you know, the 95% of our audience or the 99% of our audience. We find that 1% that spend with us over and over and over again. And that's where our time goes. That's where the relationship building goes 
super heavily and and you know we just nurture those people and nurture those people because we appreciate them a ton because they keep the lights on they're the driving force and and they're the cheerleaders in our audience that's right the, the trick the trick to that too is just to to do that nurturing and do that relationship building out of just sincere genuine interest in other people and not because you see them as a transaction. Yeah. It's yeah, a, and in, that's in not your what dashboard. Yeah, they yeah. got 8.6 value. Like, yeah. oh, that sucks. <laughs> it's, yeah, so you just, sincerity and, and kindness and genuine relationship building wins. And that's business. Business is one human being doing a transaction with another human being. That's business. And it all goes down to this relationship. Now, sometimes people build relationship with a brand and, you know, they have a passion around a Spotify. You can hear it in Tom talking about Spotify. It's not a personal relationship between Tom and Joe at Spotify, but Tom has a relationship with Spotify as a tool. It's, it gets down to this relationship thing. It's just at the heart of business. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about um, niching uh, to some degree. We've spoken about um, this lifetime value of your customer and, and in many ways um, the communities and the, uh, the, the, the proposition and the offerings around that. And what I wanted to dive into as well is, is looking through the lens of business owners and uh, the, the business life cycle side, because I think in tandem to all this, there, there's these ecosystems that exist and I, and I find that a lot of um, people, especially when they're starting out in business, they are unsure or are overwhelmed with the effort versus outcome of where they put their effort for that particular outcome. So um, I bring up business life cycle because I think many businesses um, struggle to even identify that they are in this establishment phase, which is going to be not five minutes. It's going to be at least two years, right? And then you've got the growth phase and then that's a potentially three to five year journey, if that even more, and then you've got an expanding phase, then you've got a maturing phase, you know, again, marketing 101. But when we speak about business life cycle, how can those listeners who are listening to this curate the branding versus sales in, in their mind? It's, it's, and in many ways it is also a, a revenue generating um, area, but have how have you curated what's most important in your business activities? Uh, explain to me what you mean by curated. So I guess it's more a case on there's so much to do. Should I spend all this time with my branding and awareness and, mm -hmm. and, and building those true fans, right? The community, mm -hmm. or am I really just going for the sell and going, well, those activities to, 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 where the sales salesman or saleswoman hat is going to be um, slightly different. Of course, we should we should be doing both, but I feel like um, the 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 question around what's truly revenue generating, yeah, still yeah. is quite muddy for people. So the revenue, the best chance you have of future sales is making your current customers happy. It trumps everything else. It trumps creating new branding and new marketing materials and all that stuff. It is, if you can solve the problem of your current customer, 
have them have a great customer experience with your business and then nurture and build a real genuine relationship with that individual person, that customer, then they become your sales force. They become your repeat customer. You're building on top of a foundation of a customer base foundation. And then anybody in the future comes into your business and just stacks on top of that foundation. So for me, you know, going through all these different phases of the business, you got a growth phase or your startup phase and you're, you know, you're, you, I don't remember what the third one was, but it's, you have these different phases and I saw each of these in, in my business. It takes, clients are like compound interest. It's exponential growth over time. When I started my agency, I had three clients in the first year. And by the end of the second year, I had like four or five clients. That was it. It was still the same three. And then I had a couple extras. And then the year after that, I exploded to like 12 clients that were all, and my business doubled in its revenue. I hit a tipping point. If we talk about Malcolm Gladwell and, and tipping points, I hit a tipping point in my business where things started to grow exponentially. But it all came on the fact that I didn't lose the first clients. I kept those first clients happy. They loved my business, my service offering. They loved working with me. And then it could grow exponentially. People struggle to hit those tipping points when they lose the foundation in the first place. So to answer that question, where are you going to spend your time? Man, there's nothing more important than making your current customers overzealously happy with their experience with your product and service and you and your business. Love yeah, it. it's a great answer. Um, it's a very, very big question, to be honest, Ram. Um, but my, I've kind of drawn a little diagram here. There's so many things to focus on in your business, but I do think focusing on some of these core pillars is essential. So for me, I think you start with product market fit and branding. Being a creative branding is very important to me. So looking at product market fit, the best way to do that, in my opinion, is you know come up with the idea in the best way possible and then test it, which is validation and minimum viable products. That's a whole podcast in itself. So if people read up on that stuff or if they're already aware, go get a simple form of your idea out to the market and see if it works, see what people think. Branding, market positioning and differentiation. That's some of my favorite stuff within branding. How are you going to disrupt? How are you going to be different? Don't be beige, right? Don't be beige in a, a busy market or any market. How do you do something so different that people can't help but sit up and take notice? And that was one of the keys to our success with my startup. And then once you've got that foundation of product market fit, a great product the market wants and a disruptive you know, eye-opening brand, the two big things that sit underneath that for me are community, which Mike completely touched on and nailed in terms of look after your current people super well. But I did that for a lot of years. And that alone, in my opinion, is not enough because then you rely entirely on word of mouth. So in the more recent years, I've really been pairing community with distribution. Because if you're constantly getting in front of new wider audiences and you're getting those new people into your system, like Mike described, so I think we are very aligned on this, in fact, you're getting new people into the machine you've created where they're going to have an incredible experience. You're going to look after them. You're going to get that lifetime value. 
that's kind of some of the key pillars that I always seem to come back to. You know, despite the 5,000 distractions, that's what really matters. Brilliant. Well, I am conscious of time, so I will uh, fire off a few few questions here to uh, to take us home. Uh, we could have spoken about so many other things, and uh, it might warrant a, a conversation on another time. I had questions here about selling creative services, about pricing creative oh, services, we, and all we that. We told stuff. you we're not concise. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. Ram. <laughs> no, it's good, and and for the <laughs> listeners, and and for you guys, Mike and Tom, uh, you are the first guest. That's a duo guest on my show. Oh. Awesome. So I've had in this podcast for yeah, that's it for five years and uh, the moon, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. it. (laughs) So a few more questions for you, uh, both. I a question I ask all my guests: if you could travel back in time for thirty seconds, speak to your junior self, the uh, the youngster in high school, finishing high school, what would you tell him? Um, everything is gonna turn out okay. Don't overstress it. Don't overthink it. Just enjoy the ride. Work hard, but it's all going to turn out great. And it's all part of the journey and path that you're going to have in your career. And um, the scary times aren't going to last forever. And the great times aren't going to last forever either. Just just have, have a fun career. And man, I wish somebody would have told me that because I didn't for so long. I was so Tom and I did a whole podcast on this, but I was so focused on climbing the entrepreneurial mountain that I never stopped to really enjoy the walk up the mountain and all the beautiful scenery I was seeing along the way. Well put. Love that. Um, For me, it would boil down to do more and think less because now I live by that and I'm much happier and more prolific for it but i think particularly as like an insecure teenager we will just sit and dwell on our insecurities and overthink them to death and it's like that just makes you miserable and so i wish that i'd thought less about that stuff and just focused on doing you know pick up the guitar and learn it start that business go you know talk to that person whatever it might be i think that's at the core and then my second bit of advice would probably be don't go to that foam party in Magaluf because <laughs> it really hurts when you've got a load of foam pushed into your ear holes <laughs> and your eyeballs and you can't defend yourself. So. No, to younger self. Good yeah, advice. Important one. <laughs> uh, and who has been an impactful giant thinker in your lives? Uh, that person who has inspired you to think bigger and to dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential. Oh, that's a tough question. Um, you know what? I, I started to go to go to the, the giant thought leaders. I, I was reading the Tony Robbins books back when he was Anthony Robbins back in the late 80s, early 90s, his first couple books, Unlimited Power and things. And man, I didn't know back then that reading self-help books when I was 20 years old was abnormal. I just loved that kind of content and and it had a big impact on me and I still take some of those things away. So that from a big thinker standpoint is, is one of the people, another person who is, uh, who's become a good friend of mine, Mark Long. Um, he is the entrepreneur next door. The dude makes a ton of money. And if you met him, you never would know he's, he has a massive house can afford anything, multiple properties just is, is, and, but he's just the most down to earth, normal, 
accessible person and I and diversified income. Oh my gosh, he's got it coming in all over the place. There's no scenario where this guy doesn't make a grip of money every single year. And so it's an entrepreneurial dream. He's achieved it and he did it all on his own. It wasn't a handout. He, he cranked and grinded and made smart decisions and made smart risks. Uh, and it's just so inspiring to me because that's what I aspire to, to be. I, I don't want to, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the entrepreneur who wears it on their sleeve that they're successful or even more the ones who aren't successful, but act like they are. I love the millionaire next door mindset and, and, uh, these people that have achieved great things, but they don't wave it in your face. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Um, for me, it's a combination uh, of where I draw my inspiration. So I actually get a lot of inspiration from my direct network as opposed to the bigger influencers and so on. And, and you know, I know Mike's the same. We both have these incredible networks. And and when I look at, you know, the Peggy Deans and, and Tila Cunningham's and, and Scotty Russell and, and Liz Gray and all these people, when you surround yourself with those people, it's like you are the sum of the five people. I really believe in that. And when you have these talented driven people, that's the best feeling in the world. Um, in terms of people who I don't directly know, Gary V, I talk about him every time Mike and I do our podcast. <laughs> um, I was very, very kind of early on Gary V. Um, and it's been just mesmerizing to see him blow up. So some of that early stuff, I felt like I discovered a secret potion that the world didn't know about at scale. And it really was, I started getting pissed when he started getting increasingly popular because I was like no this stuff's gold and no one's talking about it and now everyone's talking about it um, and also Steve Bartlett is an entrepreneur in the UK I've actually met him um, in London but super talented guy very humble he's the guy who will stay at the end of a talk and shake 600 hands um, and talk to every single person so his kind of humility and how he does business is very inspiring to me Fantastic. So what's next for you both uh, with everything you're involved in uh, for the rest of the year and beyond? Uh, I know that you guys are incredible movers and shakers and always releasing new stuff. So uh, talk to us about what's, what's happening. Well, we have big plans for our BizBuds podcast. Uh, so we're, we just launched that. When did we launch? January? I think we didn't. It, it was pretty, yeah, it's pretty early still. Yeah, we recruit, so we're just a few months into that and it's gotten a great response. And so we're loving doing that. So as a collaboration, I envision that years into the future, Tom and I have become really great friends after having talked for 170 hours I, so far. I thought we were great friends. <laughs> we, that's pretty helpful. We, yeah. <laughs> So it's just, I spent a lot of time one-on-one uh, -on -one talking to Tom and riffing on topics like this. So that's been super fun. I just launched a, a big freelancer course that I'm super excited about that um, had a great response. And so I'm passionate about that because I feel like for the first time in my career, I'm really hitting my zone where everything's coming together. All the things I love and I'm passionate about. I love public speaking. I love mentoring and coaching. I love talking about entrepreneurship and business and I get to do all of that every single day. It's, it's like I'm in a pinch me moment that I get to do what I love. I genuinely love every day and I get to do it for a living and I would do it for free if I didn't make money at it. So I, I'm, I'm encouraged and excited about the future. 
I feel exactly the same. I, I'm really, really hyped for the future right now. And I feel very grateful. I started when I was super young. I was like 12 years old when I started this stuff. And I feel like it's really starting to compound now. And I just turned 32. But all the entrepreneurs I really look up to who are super established, they're like, you know, mid 40s, late 40s. I'm looking over the next 20 years and thinking if I keep working super hard and it keeps compounding, I do want to be impacting, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people in a positive way. If I can, I truly believe with the trajectory of my company, it could be 10 X what it is now. Um, with my personal brand, you know, I'm a year into that. I, I do want to just create this massive community of positivity and, and help and, and do the, the book thing and the speaking thing more. And I just feel like the sky's the limit. And I, I, I know we all have that energy of like, we're just getting started, which is super exciting. Um, yeah, I love it. And, and as Mike said, biz buds that we do together, I, I still got that gut feeling. I think it's going to be, you know, big, hopefully people come back to this in a few years when it's this world famous show, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> so good. And, uh, for those that, um, uh, hearing you for the first time, how can they get in touch with you online? Um, so yeah, as, as we both mentioned, the main place really, obviously everyone listening now is a podcast lover. So if you're in the podcast app and you want to jump over to biz buds, that's B I Z buds, uh, podcast, Mike and I basically just talk very passionately at length about business, marketing, creativity, entrepreneurship. We freaking love it. We try and make every episode like a mini course. It's so actionable. I would say that's our kind of main shared platform. Um, my, my personal ones are Tom Ross Media on all social um, where I put out a ton of content and Mike. And mine is more Janda on all social except for TikTok. That guy who took my handle <laughs> on TikTok. But I'm not mad. I've just mentioned it like six times. <laughs> on, on various things but more are, jam are you doing anything on tiktok are you doing like uh, no because i don't have a handle I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I was on tiktok last night thinking as people keep telling me like your your favorite gary v keeps telling me i should be on tiktok it's a uh, blue ocean and i go on tiktok and i'm like i can't, I can't figure it out yet i haven't caught the vision <laughs> enough for me to go after it uh so we'll see Anyway, but yeah, more Janda on all social platforms and BizBuds podcast. You can also go to bizbudspodcast.com and we have, uh, that'll drop you to the, to the show as well. Fantastic. Well, I'll link, I'll put all the, the links in the, uh, the post when this goes up and whatnot, but, uh, gentlemen, uh, Mike, Tom, Tom, Mike, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for spending time with us, um, on the show. It's been a long time coming and, uh, are there any parting words before we, uh, wrap up? Yeah, we well, love thank you, Ram. Thanks for having yeah, us on. Gonna, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, hey, thanks. Thanks for having us on. You've got a great podcast, great audience. And so we really appreciate you having us on. Thank you, Ram. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you, every, every single person listening. We appreciate all of you so much. Fantastic. I was going to say, it's the closest thing to uh, speaking with Joe Rogan and, and uh, Novak Djokovic, apparently. So uh, it's great. I think uh, everyone can see who's here. <laughs> thanks again, guys. Appreciate your time. Appreciate thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening, wonderful giants. I'm so very grateful that you've spent this time tuning into this interview with Mike and Tom. Please send them a hi and hello over on their Instagram. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Mike's handle is morejanda and Tom's handle is Tom Ross Media. 
If you're enjoying these episodes, one massive way that uh, helps keep the show going is leaving an iTunes review. It should only take you about 15 to 20 seconds once you head over to giantthinkers.com slash podcast review. I read and appreciate every single one and it helps get the show in front of more people who may need these stories and insights from our world-class guests. Now, a little teaser for our next guest. She is the co-founder and managing director of Twisted Healthy Treats, a company that started back in 2009. Twisted are obsessed with creating Australia's best tasting frozen desserts that are actually good for you. All their products are made from natural ingredients and are all Australian made and 100% Australian owned. Her background is in large-scale project management within the financial services industry, but always dreamed of having her own company ever since she was a small child. Fast forward 10 years, she is a mum of three, Twisted now manufacture and sell take-home tubs, multi-packs and single-serve cups to over 5,000 outlets across Australia, including a national distribution deal with Woolworths and supermarkets, and more recently, Costco, Australia, and Coles supermarkets as well. They are also the only ice cream product that is approved for sale in school canteens by the Australian government. Two million Australian school kids enjoy twisted yogurt in their lunch break. So this episode will be out very soon. For any questions regarding this podcast or anything at all, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. Send me a message via my handle, The Giant Thinker. Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I love from Tom who said, don't be beige in a busy market. How do you do something so different that people can't help but sit up and take notice? 